Good morning. Hey, it's good to see y'all. There's a lot of y'all here this morning, man. We got a packed house. That's that's always encouraging. Yeah, I'll, I'll clap for you. You showed up. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm here too, but I, I kind of get paid to be. Uh, hey, uh, if I hadn't got a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fusion City Church, and uh, man, we're just excited about what God is is doing here. And if you if this if you call Fusion City Church home, you got a lot to be excited about as well. Uh, if you're still kind of checking us out, or if this is your first time. We're really, really glad that you showed up. We know you could have picked a whole lot of other places to spend your time. And the fact that you chose to come and, and spend your time with us, that means a lot to us. You heard Pastor Quentin mention we have a gift for you. Love for you to take advantage of that. We just want to say thanks for, for coming and spending some time with us. We're just, like I said, very excited about what God is doing in and through Fusion City Church. And uh, if this is your first time today, uh, you didn't miss anything. Right, we're at the beginning of a brand new series today that we're calling Guardrails. Uh, we kind of wanted to make that unforgettable. That's why we put a big flipping guardrail on the stage. Like, that's why we did that. So you're like, hey, what's this series called? Oh, yeah, there's a big gray thing on the stage. Like, we get it. So um, now what you don't know, you, you do understand and, and see there's a guardrail on stage and the, the graphic behind me. But what you may not know is, is why. And that's what we want to talk about today and over the next five weeks. Now, I want to want to get something out of the way at, at the, the beginning of this, so I don't have to talk about it for the rest of the series, but just in case any of you were, you know, to do some research, whatever, and find out that somebody else preached and did this series first, and that we kind of borrowed it, I don't want you to think that, that I, like, stole it and then tried to pull it off as my own. I want you to know that, that a few years ago, I listened to another pastor, very well-known, Andy Stanley, North Point Church in Atlanta. I, I listened to him do this series. Um, way back then, I think it was like three or four years ago, he did this. And ever since, like when I sit down with, with married couples that are having issues with uh, like trust and stuff like that, or when I sit down with people and they're having issues financially and trying to figure out how to work finances and stuff, I will teach them the principles that Andy Stanley kind of came up with called guardrails. I'll talk to them about how to establish some guardrails. And so as we were kind of getting into this mentality of, okay, we've still got a lot of things that we've got to plan. Like, why don't we borrow that series? Because I think it's something that our whole church needs to hear. And so I did. I borrowed this series. I call it borrow because that sounds way better than stealing. Um, I don't plan to give it back in any way. I do want to give credit where credit is due. This is not, not my original concept, but I love the concept. And so that's why I want to spend some time teaching uh, what it is. Now, again, you still might be thinking, okay, that sounds all awesome, but like, what is it? Well, well, first, let's start with the definition of what we all typically understand to be guardrails. All right, so here's, here's the definition. A guardrail is a system that's designed to keep vehicles from straying. All right, we're going to kind of key off of that word. So keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Now, we know this, right? Like, we all know what guardrails are, we, we all kind of typically understand what they're, they're for, but by and large, guardrails are this invisible part of our driving experience that we don't ever see or recognize until we need them, right? And then when we need them, they're a lifesaver. Now, because we were getting ready to do this series, because I drove my truck down and picked up two big stinking pieces of guardrail this week, like I started noticing guardrails, and they're everywhere, but you don't really notice them. They're just kind of, they're kind of there. They're kind of accepted. Like, okay, yeah, and you don't really pay anything. You will now because I just told you. Like, it's like if I tell you not to think about the color red, what do you think about? 
Right? So I told you, I just told now you're going to see guardrails everywhere, and they'll become a, which is good, because I want you to remember what we talk about in this series, because it's going to be very, very, very practical. Lots of examples and that kind of stuff. It's going to be a fantastic series. I'm very excited about it. Now, we understand what guardrails do for us in our driving experience. We understand that the operation of a motor vehicle, that's a really dangerous thing, that people can get seriously hurt driving vehicles. Bad stuff can happen in our driving experience. And so we understand the the need for some margin of error. I mean, when you really think about it, guardrails are actually installed on parts of the road that we could actually drive on if the guardrail wasn't there. Think about it. I mean, like, I, I could drive a little bit closer to the edge of the bridge if they would just move that silly guardrail, right? But nobody ever argues that point. Nobody ever gets upset that there's a guardrail somewhere that they want to drive. Why? Here's why. Because we understand with something as dangerous as going off the edge of a cliff on a curvy road or falling off the side of a bridge in your car, those are some really dangerous stuff. And so we appreciate that the guardrails are there because they protect us. They they might damage our car a little bit if we hit them or even a lot, but but far less than if we were to actually go off the bridge or over the cliff. And so we we get that. We understand what guardrails are all about. Here's what we want to look at throughout the course of this series is that while we understand the need for margin and, and like degree of error in our driving because of the dangerous things that are on the other side of guardrails, we just believe that there, that there are other areas of our life where there's a lot of danger. That there are some really dangerous things that we can get into financially, relationally, ethically, morally, vocationally. There's a lot of dangerous things in the world that we live in. And we just believe that in the same way that, that guardrails have been installed or put into place to keep us from getting into danger, that we can m- mentally or personally begin to create some guardrails in our life that keep us out of the real danger, uh, danger areas in life, things like the, the danger financially, relationally. We're going to talk about all that stuff. And so what we have is a, a new definition for guardrails. So for our context and for what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, this is going to be kind of our operating definition that says this, is that guardrails are a, a standard. All right, so I, I added the word kind of impersonal. It's a personal standard of behavior. So we're going to change the way that we act, standard of behavior, a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Now, here's what that means. That we want to create some things in our life, a standard of behavior, that when we begin to bump up against those standards that we've set, and it's personal, it's personal for all of us, that we begin to experience some some discomfort, maybe maybe a little bit of guilt, like, like, I'm really getting too close to the stuff that's on the other side of where I've set my moral standard. Now, even outside of the church, inside of the church, Christian, non-Christian, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, everybody would agree. We, I, we could get some consensus around some things in life that are just, they're just bad. There is, there is a, a place where people enter into financial ruin. There's a place where people enter into relational ruin or destroy a, a marriage or something like that. Like we all understand that there are some things in life that nobody should ever do. There, there, are some, there are some bad things that everybody should avoid. We, we get that. So all I'm saying is that 
what we want to do as, as believers and non-believers alike. That's the great thing about this series. Even if you're not like a Jesus person. Like, I don't, I don't really know about the whole God stuff, church thing or whatever. Like, somebody promised me breakfast and brought me here. Like, I'm, I'm just here because I got tricked or whatever. Like, I don't know why you're here. But believer, non-believer, this is for you. This is good stuff. Very, very practical. You don't have to be a God person for this to be beneficial to you. Now, here's my hope. I'm a, I'm a, I got ulterior motive. All right, I do. I want to be honest, complete transparency. Lay all, all my cards out. Here, I want you, if you're not yet a Jesus person, and like, I don't really know about that whole Bible thing or whatever, like, my hope is that as we walk through this and you see, like, the practical nature of the things that the Bible talks about, you'd be like, man, that's in the Bible? Maybe I should read it. And like, yes, I mean, like, and it's like, yes, you should. Like, that's what I want. I want you to be impressed But what you find out about the Bible, even if you don't believe it. I mean, because let's be honest. Something being like, I don't believe the Bible's true. Well, that's not the measure that you use for anything. Like, you don't read stuff because it's true. You read stuff because it's helpful or practical. That's not the, that's not the standard that we use to measure anything. And so... As you go throughout this series, I hope that you'll find what we talk about very, very, very practical, and you'll be able to take it and apply it to your life, even if you don't get the whole Jesus thing. All right, well, now we hope you will. Like, again, ulterior motive, we want you to meet Jesus and Him become the Lord and Savior of your life, and you go to heaven with us. Like, we want that. But if you're not there yet, if, if you're not there yet, all right, still helpful, still good stuff. So here's what I want us to understand. And I'm talking really fast because I'm hyper, I'm excited about this series, okay? Just hang with me, we'll all go together, okay? Here's what I want you to see. Your greatest regret, your greatest regret financially, relationally, maritally, vocationally, morally, ethically, your greatest regret, whatever it is, most likely could have been avoided. If you'd have had a guardrail in place to keep you safe from where you ended up and didn't want to be. Now, students, let me talk to the, let me talk to the young people for a minute. Like, I'm old, so I have to call them. They're young, they're, now they're just the young people. I used to be one, all right, a long time ago. Let me talk to the students for a minute, young people. Experience is the best teacher. Experience. Like, to learn things the hard way is the, the best way to learn anything. I, I had a friend of mine in business tell me, you only make a million dollar mistake once. Like, you will only make a mistake that costs your company a million dollars one time. All right, and he's right. Though experience is the best teacher, it doesn't have to be the only teacher. Like, you don't have to learn things the hard way. You don't have to. When you learn it the hard way, you'll never forget it. That's, that is true. But wouldn't it be better to learn it the easy way? Here's all I'm asking. Listen to the old guy. Like just, let, just let me speak some truth and some wisdom. Let me kick some knowledge to you. All right, just, and learn it the easy way. Because here's, let me make this argument to you, young people. All right, let, me, let me make this argument to you. Wouldn't it be awesome if you get to like age 60? I know, that's like a far cry from where most of you are, like 60. Do people even live that long? I mean, like, if you, wouldn't it be awesome if you, were, if you could make it to 60 and your greatest regret was something silly. Like, man, my greatest regret is I wish that night when we were at Applebee's, like, I wish I'd have got the pie instead of the cake. Like, that's my greatest. Wouldn't it be awesome? Now, for, for most of the old people in the room, young people, young people, like most of the old people, we've got bigger regrets than that. You want to know why? Because we didn't listen to the old people. Like, we didn't listen to the old people when they said, hey, don't do, like, 
do as I say, not as I do, because I've done, and dang. Like, like, like that's, we've been there, and we know, and we're just asking you, hey, learn it the easy way. And then you never have to deal with all the stuff that's on the other side, all the really bad, and the people should never, and, and people should have to never experience, like, whatever that is. We want you, I, I want you to learn it the easy way. So as we walk through this series, like I said, it's going to be very, very practical. Very practical. Lots of examples, lots of help, lots of, hey, take this and put it into your life kind of stuff. Use it. Don't, you don't have to learn the hard way. Now, what, like I said, there, there are, everybody in our, in our culture, inside the church, outside the church, we would all agree. We could, we could find consensus that there is some bad stuff over there. There's some bad, like, like really bad stuff over there. And our, our culture, because even our culture recognizes that, we see some examples of what might seem like some warnings or some kind of good advice, best practices kind of things, but they're not guardrails. They're different than what we're talking about. Let me give you an example. Here's one that, that we see um, almost now at the, at the end of every uh, beer commercial, right? Please drink responsibly. I mean, that's I and mean, that's not bad. I mean, we should, right? I and mean, people should drink res- responsibly. But, but that's not a guard. That's more like a, the, the white line painted on the edge of a bridge. Like, it's not really a guardrail. Because drink responsibly. What does that even mean? Drink responsibly. Like, drinking used to be a big part of my life. And here's what I know about drinking. When I'm drinking, by the time I get to the, the line wherever irresponsible is, I don't care anymore. Right? Like, hey, honey, I think we're starting to drink responsibly. But the good news is I don't care. Like, that's how, like, that's how drink it. That's kind of the nature of alcohol. Like, just drink responsibly. Well, where does responsible stop and irresponsible begin? Who knows? And then by the time you get there, who cares? Right? Like, here, here's another one, again, for the young people. All right, here we go. Ready? Do, as, here's what we tell young people about sex. Don't have sex until you're ready. Like, how does... How does that conversation even go? Are you ready? I don't know. I kind of feel like I was born ready. Like, I, like what is that even? When do, you, when do you think you'll be ready? Well, I think I might be ready in three weeks. Well, hey, let's put it on the calendar. Like, I mean, like, how does that conversation? I don't know. Like, but, that's, but that's the message because those aren't guardrails. Those are little white lines painted on the edge of a, of a curvy road and, and, and no, on the brink of a cliff. Those aren't guardrails. So what, here's what, what we're talking about is bigger than that. It's, it's more firm and solid than that. That's, that's what we're talking about. These, these personal standards of behavior that keep us far short of where the real danger lies. Now, the challenge is this. Here, let me tell you what's going to be difficult about this series. This isn't normal. Like, people don't, people don't do this. People don't set up standards that are short. Because all of our minds, all of us, because we have these culturally accepted really bad things. Like, our minds are tuned to the, to the bad thing. Like, I, we know we definitely want to stay close or stay short of the, the bad thing. The problem is we have this tendency to want to get as close to it as we possibly can without actually going over that's where guardrails come into place. We want to we establish some, some area of margin 
to give ourselves some distance so we stay further away from those things that everybody would agree, oh, you should never, and he should have never, and she shouldn't have, and nobody should ever have to experience. Like that, that's what we're trying to establish when we talk about guardrails. And it's not normal. For a lot of people, this, this is the problem they have with religion. Like, oh, they're just all about these silly rules, right? Like, they, oh, those, those silly Christians, they got all these, these rules and these personal behavior standards that they won't cross over. But those same people, listen to me, those same people that would call us silly or, or stupid for having personal moral standards that we don't go across are the very same people that would agree that on the other side of our standard is something that nobody should be involved in and nobody should ever experience. So, yeah, so here's the challenge. You're going to have to be a little bit weird. We talk about this a lot, like being, being a follower of Christ or even, even doing some things that not everybody else does, it makes you weird. Weird with a purpose is a calling. Weird for no purpose is just being weird, and we don't want to just be weird. We want to be weird with a purpose, and our purpose is because we understand that there's something inherently dangerous on the other side of the guardrails that we set up. But on this side of it, we're, we're, we're safe. And here's the thing, it's all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, numerous examples. Some of, the, some of the most misunderstood and misused verses in Scripture have to do with God challenging us and encouraging us to set up some guardrails, some personal moral standards in our life. And what a lot of Christians and well-meaning pastors and churches have done, they've taken those and they've made those the law. Like those are the, and it's become what we call in the church for legalistic. Well, this, isn't, this doesn't have to do so much with, with legalism. We'll talk about that later in the series. It's not so much about legalism. It's just really good logical, good practice. Good things to, to instill and install in your life so that you don't end up on the other side. And the reason that it's all throughout the Bible is because of the relationship that God wants to have with us. God invites us into a relationship with Him where we interact with Him as our heavenly Father. God wants us to think of him and see him and view him as a, as a father. Now, if you, had a, if you had a good dad, right, if you had a good father, then, then he did this. He, he put in place some rules, some barriers, some moral standards of behavior. And because he's your dad, he gave them to you. You didn't get a choice in the matter if he was a good dad. Like if you, if you had a dad that wasn't very good, then he didn't do this or, or whatever. But we understand this is what good fathers do. They put barriers and boundaries into place for their children that is short of where the real danger lies. Now, I'm a dad. I got two little girls. And if I'm going to have conflict in my house, if we're going to have conflict, if I'm going to put a rule in place and they're going to break it, I want them to break the guardrail. Like I want, I want my kids to bump up against the, the barrier that I put in place because if, if we have conflict here, then we're not having conflict in the real areas. Of, of danger financially, morally, ethically, sexually. Like, like if we're having conflict here, then we're not having it there. And that's what I want. And that's why God, throughout his word to us, gives us all of these examples and encourages and challenges us to set these personal moral standards of behavior because he's a heavenly father and he wants to protect us from the real dangers that we find in life. Now, like I said, even if you have no religious affiliation or beliefs whatsoever, this is still good stuff for you that we're going to talk about, that we're going to look at. It's still practical, it's still in the Bible, and it's still helpful to you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at an example today uh, from a man named 
Paul. Now, Paul wrote a bunch of letters, and in the, the Bible, we have these collection of his letters that he wrote to Christians in a particular city. One of the cities that Paul wrote to was the city of Ephesus, um, and that is now the book in the Bible called Ephesians. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, you can. Uh, if you brought a smart device with you, there's instructions on the top of your program of how to connect with us via Uversion Live, and we're going to put the words on the screen. All right, before we do any of that, a little bit of background, a little context of what's going on in the city of Ephesus. Now, I know it's hard to believe a culture that was more amoral or immoral than the one that we currently live in, because I mean, it's getting pretty bad, let's be honest. Like, it, times are tough, it's dangerous out there. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit too. But, but Paul is writing to the city of Ephesus, and in Ephesus, it's bad. Like, whereas we kind of have some moral guidelines and boundaries that all of us would, would say, yeah, like, you should probably be faithful to your wife. Um, you should probably be honest. You should probably, you know, do things that are, that are good or whatever. Those things didn't exist in Ephesus. Like, infidelity and adultery to them was part of a religious experience. Like, so, so faithfulness to a wife or to a husband, completely outside of their scope of understanding. Like, it was bad. And so for the whole first half of the chapter, if you go and read Ephesians chapter 5 and the first several verses down 1 through 14, Paul is giving some instruction to the believers, to the Christians at Ephesus, saying like, if you're really a follower of Christ, then you should have some standards. Like you should, you should be faithful to your spouse. You should be honest. You should do things well. You shouldn't fall into immorality. He's kind of giving them this list of things that they should do. Like, you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this. And then it's almost like a light bulb moment happens for Paul at about verse 15. And here's what happens. Paul says, all right, I've given them all the stuff that they should do, but I haven't really told them how. All right, and the how is a guardrail. Now, obviously, in Ephesus, they didn't have guardrails. Hadn't been invented yet. All right, neither had the car, so no need for guardrails. All right, so... But, so, so though Paul didn't call it a guardrail, when I picked up the guardrails this week, the guy said, now tell me where guardrails is in the Bible. And I had to explain to him the whole series. Like, he got a message. He wasn't ready for that. So, uh, you're going to give me some guardrail? I'm a priest. That's what we do. So, uh, anyway, but guardrail's not in the Bible, but the principle, the concept of setting a moral standard of behavior is. And that's what Paul begins to unfold for the believers in the city of Ephesus. And we're going to kind of look in together. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, let's start reading in verse 15. All right, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully how you walk. Now let me see if I can put this in terms. If you have another translation of the Bible that you're reading, it might say live. Be careful then how you walk. Live, live, walk, kind of interchangeable. Here's, here's the message Paul's trying to get across. Um, my wife and my, my family, my wife and my, my girls and I, we have a dog. Um, she's small. We had a bigger dog before. We, we've always had a dog. We love dogs. We're dog people. If you're a cat person, we'll talk to you more about Jesus later. All right, but like, we have dogs. And when you let dogs out of your house in the morning to kind of go do their, 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 their morning business, I don't want to be graphic, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Like you let them out, they go do their morning thing, right? It usually takes place in like this 10-foot diameter, right? Like this kind of this 10-foot circumference. I'll get my geography, or my geometry right here in a minute. Like kind of a 10-foot circle or whatever space that they kind of typically use for her morning business. Now, when people come over, and they're going to walk through the yard, we have to tell them, hey, be careful. Watch your step. Because that right there, that's like the danger area. Like, just watch your step. That's what Paul is saying. Look carefully then how 
you walk. So watch your step. Let's keep reading. Be care- look carefully in how you walk, not as unwise, all right, so not carelessly, but as wise, like with your eyes wide open, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, now Paul wrote this to the city of Ephesus 2,000-something years ago. But, but if I were to tell you today, I think you would probably understand if, if I told you, hey, be careful, because the days are evil. We live in dangerous times. It's dangerous out there financially. In a world that just says, hey, man, debt it up. Charge it. You know, put it on credit. Pay for it later. And you rack up all the debt, and then the economy hits, and the jobs go away. And, and for, for quite some time, not too far in our, in our past, our jobs were hard to come by. But bills weren't. Like, it's dangerous out there financially. Relationally, man, like young people, like single people, my, my heart breaks for you because it it's scary right now. Like the online dating thing and social media and the electronics and everything that's on the Internet is there forever kind of stuff. It's, it is dangerous. You go on a blind date and do what I ask. Like, I mean, like it's dangerous out there right now. You watch the news. I try not to. It depresses me. Like, but, I mean, it's, it's dangerous. Morally, who do you trust? Who do you trust right now? The government? I mean, come on. The government? I mean, even churches, pastors, you can trust me. I mean, just, you, you, I hope. Like, but, but, not, but not all. I mean, like, there's, who do you trust? It's dangerous out there. And that's all Paul is saying is be, be careful then how you walk. Not as, wise, not as unwise, but as wise because, because it's dangerous out there. Be, here's all he's saying. Be intentional with how you live. That's the word we like to use in church, intentionality. Walk intentionally. Be careful where you step. Watch out. And then in verse 17, he's going to give us a command that I think is hilarious in, in our English language. All right, first, uh, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish or careless. All right, so don't be, don't be a fool or be careful. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I think it's funny. Paul gives us a command to understand. I get this picture. Like, I don't know if it's still true. It was true when I was growing up in elementary school or whatever. The teacher would call you up and she'd say, hey, Brian, come up and you do problem number five on the board. And then, you know, like Josh, you come up and you do number six on the board or whatever. So you get up there and you, you write the problem and then you start working it out. And like, I always froze up. I got nervous, like stage fright. You never know it now. But then, like, stage fright, you know, I'd, get there, like, I'd freeze and I'd get this mental picture in the head. Let's, let's say I turn to my teacher and say, hey, look, like, I don't really understand what we're, I don't understand how to do Problem number five on the board. And my teacher would just look at me and say, Understand! Like, just get, like, know it. Well, I don't know it. How do you, you can't make, you just can't just tell me to understand. Like, like, I don't understand. You have to, like, you get it, right? So Paul says, Understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me, let me tell you what Paul is saying. It gets kind of funny from the Greek to the English, but here's what Paul is saying. All of us would agree, especially Christians who, who you know, say they read the Bible. All of us agree that there's some stuff on the other side of it that God doesn't want us involved in. 
There, there's, God, there's a, God has a will and a plan for your life. And come on, just stop deceiving yourself. Like, you know, even if you're not like a theologian and a Bible student or whatever else, you know that there are some things that God says, stay away from. Don't do that. Keep it out of your life. We, come on, you know. You don't need any new information about the big things. Now, maybe some of the smaller things, we can have a, a theology discussion, and we can talk doctrine and idiosyncrasies and nuances of the text. and that. We can have that conversation. That's awesome. But as far as the big stuff, some of the big things that you ought to avoid and stuff, you, you know. Paul says, stop deceiving yourself. Just own up to it. Face it. You know. And stop playing games. Here, here's Paul's argument. We all know that there's some stuff over there that God doesn't want us involved in. We know, you know. I don't have to tell you. Even if, you're, even if you're not a church person, you probably have heard some stuff that God tells us, his children, not to do. But there's some stuff over there that God doesn't want his children involved in. But here's our tendency. All of us. Churched, unchurched, Christian, non-Christian, God person, not a Jesus person, Whatever. We all, this is, this is where we love to play, right here. We, we love to, to play and dance right on the edge of disaster. Like, this, this is where we want to hang out. Now, we know what's over there, and, we know, and culture accepts and agrees. Everything over there is bad. It's terrible. Nobody should be involved in that. But we love to dance around right on the edge of disaster. Here's all Paul is saying. It's like, that's foolish. Like if you know that it's bad, then why, why do you want to be right up against the edge of disaster? In, in, in Christian circles, we would ask this question. How close to sin can I get without actually sinning? And all Paul is saying is, why do you want to be that close? Back it up. Let's set some moral standards of behavior that are far inside of where disaster actually lurks. Like, let's try that out. Let's stop playing games with what we know God doesn't want us involved in and just start being honest and truthful with ourselves. Let's start making some, some wise decisions. Let's be careful how we walk because the days are evil. And then he gives us an example. Now, here's what I know is getting ready to happen. It's going to get a little tense in here because we're going to talk about one of those topics that people don't like to talk about in church. All right? It's going to be a little bit, ten- it's going to be a little bit tense, but it's, it's going to be good. All right? So just, hang, just know it's going to get tense for a minute. It's going to be a little bit awkward, and we'll all be okay. We'll all leave as friends. Okay, we'll hug before we leave. All right, so verse 18, Paul gives us an example. Do not get drunk with wine. Okay, now, full disclosure, I already talked about it a little bit, uh, for me, drinking was a, a huge part of my life for, for a long time, I drank a lot, very often, okay, like, I, I remember, it's not anymore, and here's why, it's not because I think drinking's a sin, okay, like, you need this, again, this is me, personal, just my little bubble, my personal deal, I, I don't, it's not a part of my life anymore, and here's why, not because I think it's a sin. It's because I just, I struggle to find those areas that are, like, where alcohol makes a bad situation better. 
Like, I, I, I haven't seen very many situations where, like, it's, it's bad, you know, husband and wife fighting or whatever. Like, and then we started drinking. Like, it, it just, like, it, I don't ever hear that story, okay? Like, now, I've, I've been part of, personally, situations that were pretty good. And we introduced alcohol, and, and it turned bad. Like, I've, so for me, it's not a, it's not a sin or not sin thing. Now, this is a recent thing for me. Like, I had to, I battled through this recently. Like I was trying to figure out, okay, you know, wh- what am I going to tell our people about drinking? Is it a sin? Is it not a sin? Or what, like, wh- where am I going to fall on that? And so I went to this first. And here's, here's what I found out that Paul is saying, and this is my argument as well. I, I, don't, I don't not drink because it's a sin. I, I, I just don't, just for me, I, don't, I can't find the good in it. Now for you, maybe something completely different. Maybe it's, you know, drink, but I set a different guardrail. Like I've got a, I got a guardrail, I'll, I'll only drink, you know, when there's I don't know, whatever. Like, there may be something different for you, but for me, I just, I just don't, okay? Just, that's just me. Um, and, like, if I come to your wedding and you, like, toast with wine, like, I'll, I'll sip your wine. Wine's disgusting anyway. But, like, I'll, I'll, I'll sip your champagne to toast you or whatever. But, like, it's just not a, it's not a big part of my life. I just, just, that's me. But here's what Paul's argument is. Whether drinking or not drinking is, is a standard for you or not, what, whatever, drunkenness should be. Right, not, he, what Paul's going to tell us is that drunkenness is a guardrail. That's, what he's, that's the argument Paul's going to make. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Whew, that clears it up, right? Whew, goodness. Like, here's the great thing about the Bible. Like when I'm reading along in the Bible and I think like the Bible's getting ready to say something that's convicting, like, I come across a word that I don't understand the meaning of and I can just move on. Like, I don't have to worry about it, right? Like how many people would say that oh, in the last few weeks you've been like debauched, right? Like we, we don't know what that word means. Like, like I don't know what it means. So whew, I guess I'm off the hook. Now we'll define debauchery in a minute, but here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what Paul is saying. Drunkenness is a guardrail. It's the thing that we should bump up against that keeps us from debauchery. Like when I hit drunkenness, I should know, oh, I'm really close to being debauched, right? Like, well, I, like I, don't, I don't even know if that's a word. But I, like, this, is, this is what Paul is saying. Now, I know, I know, I know, we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt in North Carolina, like the Baptist headquarters. Like, like, we're, like I get it. You would love for me to say being drunk is a, a sin. That's, and maybe it is. We, we have that discussion some of the time. That's not the argument Paul is making. Here's the argument Paul is making. Being drunk, not necessarily a sin. It's just foolish. It's, it's irresponsible. It's playing on the edge of really bad stuff. It's flirting with disaster. And so, it, so what Paul is, is challenging us to do is if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you should have a guardrail in relation to drunkenness. Not because being drunk or drunkenness is a sin necessarily. We, like I said, another conversation, another message, another day. Not because it's a sin, but because it gets you right on the edge of debauchery. Now here's what debauchery is. I wrote it down, put it in my Bible so I could read it. Definition of debauchery. It is in extreme indulgence that leads to a loss of control. That's what debauchery is. It's an extreme indulgence into something that causes a loss of control. Remember, God, our heavenly Father, 
doesn't want us involved with anything that would get us close to losing control. And now Paul uses alcohol as an example because alcohol is, I I believe, the reason he uses it is because it's common to all of us. Like it has the same effect on all of us. If, If all of us were to drink enough alcohol, we would all lose control. But you could take this same illustration and apply it to things like lust or anger or greed. Like... It's just one illustration. Like if you were to sacrifice, if you had to have that, that car, right, and you were willing to sacrifice your financial integrity and the education of, the future education of your children so that you could have that car, you, your greed has led you to a point where you are out of control. And our Heavenly Father doesn't want us involved in anything that has to do with a loss of control. Here's what Paul is saying. Is, the, is drunkenness a sin? I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's irresponsible. It's foolish. Because it puts us on the edge of being out of control. And that's the sin. That's the problem. And, and so, then Paul gives us the, the contrast. Do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. But, now here's the, so instead, like here's the flip. But instead, be Filled with the Spirit. Now, now you know this. If you're, if you're a Christian, even if you're not, you probably know this. God wants to be the preeminent source of influence in our lives. He wants to be the one that's, that's prompting and guiding and, and directing our lives. He wants to be the one that sets up and establishes the guardrails in our life. He wants to lead us to those things. And so, if you read throughout the rest of the Bible, you'll see that we're promised that when we become a follower of Christ, that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us and begins to to speak and prompt and influence us from the inside out. Now, in my experience, the Holy Spirit never yells, never shouts. I think it would be awesome. It would be kind of terrifying Right, like, like, I'm, like I'm getting ready to do something, you know, stupid. It's like, hey! You know, like that would be, freak me out a little bit, all right? Like, it would be kind of cool the first time, all right? But in, in my experience and in most of the experiences that I, I talk to other people about, the Holy Spirit never, never yells. It, it kind of like, when we start to, to get up close to something, like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Like, like that, in my experience, that's... That's kind of how that still small voice of God begins to speak. It's just something that kind of elbows me in my conscience and begins to ignite or make me aware. I'm getting awfully close to something really bad. So Paul says, don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Stay away from the bad stuff and listen when God says, uh-uh-uh, I don't think I'd do that like just that's what Paul is saying and he and God God does that because he wants to keep us out of danger God wants to protect us it's the the same thing you would do if you're if you were a father or if you are a father it's the same thing you do with your children you you would say hey don't just stay away from it it's the same thing our father is doing for us Here's what I've learned, and you can write this down, or, or take if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's the main thought: No one ever plans to ruin their life. Nobody ever plans to. Most just never plan not to. 
Right? Think about it. Nobody ever stands at the altar when they're taking their vows and plans to ruin their marriage. Like, whoo, I'm getting ready to mess this up. Now, you think you've seen some bad marriages before? I'm about to screw this one up worse than anybody's ever messed up a marriage. And first, I'm going to have a bunch of kids, make it all complicated, and then, oh, 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 oh I'm going to wreck this thing. Like, nobody ever does that. It's just that most never plan not to. And no, nobody ever goes into the bank and says, I'm about to ruin me and myself financially. Like, I'm getting ready to get into so much debt the government couldn't get out. Like, I, like, I don't want, like Bill Gates couldn't cover the debt I'm getting ready to go into. Like, I, nobody ever plans that. It's just that most never plan not to. And you can tell yourself, well, I'll just be careful. You know, like, I, I guardrails, I don't know, that sounds like it's a little too much. Like, I don't want to be that weird guy that everybody else is going off to have fun, and I'm like, ah, sorry, I'm going to stop, and then they have to, and they're going to be like, well, why don't you? You think I'm a sinner? And like, I, you can tell yourself, I'm going to be careful. And the question I would ask you is how? You, you want to know how to be careful? Yeah, you got to put in a guardrail. Maybe, maybe some people would get super spiritual. Right? Well, I'm, I'm just going to trust God to protect me. A dummy, God gave you a brain. So that when you read his word and you see what Paul says, you can say, hey, maybe God wouldn't want me to flirt right on the edge of disaster, but back up a little bit. That's how God protects you. He gave you some common sense that if the real danger is over there, why in the world would you want to be as close as possible to the thing that could ruin you? That's how God protects you. Now here's what I believe, here's what I hope is happening as I, as I stand up here and talk. That for, for some, most, all of you here, something's coming to mind. Like there's an area in your life, you're like, you know what, <laughs> Man, I'm really close to really messing this up. Maybe I need a guard. Maybe it's the alcohol thing. You know, maybe you've been flirting with the edge of disaster as it relates to drunkenness. Maybe it's not. Maybe, it's, maybe it is finances or a, or a relationship. Listen, for the next several weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about some really specific areas that all of us need guardrails in. All of us. It's going to be really, like I said, really practical. Lots of really hands-on, tangible, put some handles on it, take it with you kind of, kind of stuff. But, but already, here's what I'm hoping is happening. Already in your mind, you know. Like, you know. You don't need any new information. You know. And all Paul is saying, all God is, is saying, hopefully through me, is this. You know. So stop playing. With disaster. And let's begin to establish some, some areas in our life, some personal standards of behavior. That when we begin to bump up against that standard, something begins to ignite or inform our conscience. And we begin to feel uncomfortable. And that's when we know that's God. Uh, 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 uh. And we stop. That's what your heavenly Father wants for you. 
Would you pray with me? God, we know that you love us. And it becomes more and more and more evident, God, as we, as we look into our lives and into your word and we begin to see these areas, Father, that you've challenged or encouraged or even pressed, Father. To say that as your children, God, there are some things you don't, you don't want us to be mixed up in. and You're not trying to ruin our fun. You're not trying to take anything away. God, you're our Father who wants to protect us, to keep us out of those things that would threaten to ruin or destroy our our finances, our marriages, our relationships, our jobs. God, you want to protect us. So, Father, we're grateful that you love us enough to challenge us to have these guardrails. Father, my hope and my prayer over the next five weeks is that we would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word, to your leading. And that, Father, we would begin to understand those areas and those places that you want us to take a step back from the edge and evaluate how close we really want to be to those things that could do us such harm. So, God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Father, my prayer is that your spirit will begin to speak loudly and clearly to each and every one of us throughout this series. And God, we, we know that you love us because we have the evidence through the work of your son Jesus on the cross. And so God, it is in his name that I pray. Amen.